Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today with friends, maybe with families, with your dogs. And listen, I hear you, some of you with your cats. I have been convinced after last week, for those of you who've been tuning in with us, um, that perhaps, perhaps cats go to heaven. No one gave me the theological reason. However, Scripture does say that one day in eternity, the lion and the lamb will lay down next to one another and a lion is a cat. So maybe, maybe, maybe cats go to heaven. However, cat owners, my goodness, um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. And you all got angry last week when I said there's a possibility cats might not go to heaven. Listen, I grew up in a house with dogs and cats. And I walked into a home sometimes where both your dog and your cat were sleeping. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you walk into a house and your dog and your cat are sleeping, the dog wakes up, gets up, runs to you, wags its tail, and cannot wait to tell you how glad he or she is that you are home. A cat, if you, if you come into a house and wake up a cat, a cat will lift its head at you and glare at you and let you know that you interrupted his or her sleep in his or her house. I have learned this week where cats learn to glare like that. It's from their owners when you say something bad about it. So this week, hashtag show cats Jesus. So maybe they can show other people Jesus when you walk in the house and interrupt them. I know you're not here to learn about cats and dogs, but our church family has been talking about them for a week. We're actually in Galatians chapter 1 today. If you have your Bible uh, or a Bible app or an online Bible, Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to hang out today. Let me tell you what we're doing as a church. Let's, let's just handle some family business right up front. As we head into the month of April and we're in a region of the country where we're kind of have stay-at-home orders through April 24th, forth, we had to decide as a church, okay, what's our mission? And this month, what are the things that are going to be critically important to us? And we said three things, that three areas where we have to win. Number one, number one, the first piece of spiritual armor that is listed for us in Ephesians chapter 6 is the belt of truth. So the very first thing we have to do is be truth givers, truth bringers, truth proclaimers, truth reminders to our church. And we have to remind our people of peace. We have to remind our people of hope. We have to remind our people of spiritual direction. We have to give our people spiritual comfort. Our number one goal in this season of your life is to bring you the truth of the gospel in a way that will give you peace, hope, comfort, and direction. However, we're giving that to you, not just so you can have it, we want to equip you with that. So we're giving it to you so that you can give it away. That leads to kind of two things that are going to happen in the month of April. One, this sermon series that we're beginning today. We're, we're beginning a series today called The Waiting Room. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Maybe better said, what do you, what do, you do when there's no place to go? How do you learn about God? How do you know God? How do you help others know God? When you're kind of in a season of waiting, that's what we're going to talk about all month long at Journey. Several of you ask after our video update went out Friday, are we going to finish four cups? Yes, at some point we'll dig back into learning about who Jesus is through the Passover story. But while we are staying at home, we are going to be a church that helps you at home really learn who Jesus is. We're going to focus on the lives of Noah, on Moses, on Elijah, on Jesus. Today we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at people who had a stay-at-home order or a stay-away order for at least a season of 30 days, all of those 40 days, and see what we can learn from them. Also, we're going to pray together every day. We are beginning April 1, a new initiative that we're calling 2412. 24 days of prayer at noon every day on Journey's Facebook page. 
So if you haven't already, go, go like our Facebook page. Uh, and all of you who are working at home at 12 noon, stop for 15 minutes, April 1 through 24, while the stay-at-home orders are in effect, uh, our ministry team is going to get on. We're going to read the psalm of the day, and we're just going to have a short time of prayer for the medical community, for those working in the medical profession, for those who are losing their jobs. We're going to pray for families who are trying to learn to homeschool kids for the first time in their life. 24 at 12, we believe as a church, we've got to give peace, comfort, direction, guidance, hope. We're going to do that through this new series. We're going to do this through this new prayer initiative. The next thing we need to do is we feel like in a world of social distancing, we got to bring people closer. We have to connect people to people. So hopefully we're going to try our very hardest in the month of April to reach out to you and connect directly to you through a text, through a direct message in social media, through a phone call, just to make sure we know you're doing okay. We want you to communicate back to us. If you need anything, we want to be a church that even in a world of social distancing is connecting. One of the things that we're going to do this week is we've set up a series of about 25 Zoom calls, conference calls, for people who might just need to hear from others in the same season of life to say, what are you doing that's successful? We've got one this week for teachers, one for coaches. How do you coach your team when you can't gather for practice? We've got one for business leaders. We have one for mothers of seniors in high school trying to navigate this season. One for fathers of seniors in high school. We got one for people working in the medical community. We've got one for people who are immunocompromised. We've got one for people who are retired. We've got one for empty nesters. We've got one for new moms. We have one for moms of elementary school students. If you can imagine an area of life that you're in, hopefully we've got a group that we'll be hosting for you. If you text the words Journey Zoom to 474747. You'll get the list of all the calls that you can log into sometime this week. One, to find people just like you trying to accomplish just what you're accomplishing so that we can bring people together and maybe add some value. I've been on Zoom calls with pastors all over the country, and every time I get off, I feel better equipped to handle what we're facing right now as a church. And then the third thing we're doing, we're serving our community. We're figuring out right now how to serve, how to serve well, how to serve big. Um, we have been up until this past week delivering food to emergency rooms and to first responders. Um, they, and it makes a lot of sense, have asked us not to do that anymore. No more outside food for a season. So we are now mobilizing to help the Lee Summit School District um, gather and collect meals and distribute meals um, on the weekends for kids who would normally have lunches distributed during the day. We're trying to figure out how to set up a blood drive outside in our parking lot as soon as we're able to gather more than 10 people together. We've got a lot of things going on, but this is just a testimony of one of the things that happened that that you being a part of our church supports. Our team had been delivering meals to first responders. And uh, on our Facebook page, somebody in the early part of the coronavirus season said, hey, what are you thankful for? And a truck driver reached out to us. And here's what he said. He said, I'm thankful for people just like you. As a professional driver, it's hard to give love and support when you're hundreds, possibly thousands of miles from home. My wife is a lead nurse at a local emergency room, and this is a very stressful time for her. As we can all imagine, your group supplied the staff with dinner. That small gift meant a lot. It certainly brightened their day and the kindness trickled all the way back to me and brightened my day. Knowing that someone cares about how hard this staff is working to better their community. Thank you. We are figuring out right now how to get ready to serve our community well, we don't during our services, obviously, because we're online, take an official offering, but we have been asking people 
if you're a part of our church, to continue to give. Three ways that you can give to continue to make ministry like this happen. Um, one, we're, we're asking people to, to give or not give in three pockets. Here's what we've said. If you go to Journey and, and you normally give and you're still receiving a paycheck, please keep giving. Um, if you go to Journey and you don't give, but you're still receiving a paycheck, would you start giving in the season? Even if it's a little bit, every little bit will help. And here's why. Because if you go to Journey and you regularly give, but you've stopped receiving a paycheck, you need to stop in this season. You're only supposed to give off of what you receive. If you're not receiving, you can't give. We at this time are trying to move funds around. We're not hurting financially. Our finance team's done a wonderful job of building a, a reserve to allow us to approach times like these, ministering well to our community. But we're trying to figure out how to take as much of what is coming in and gear that towards local benevolence right now. We've, in the past years, given away tens of thousands of dollars in benevolence dollars to help people in our community. We believe in the next season we'll give more benevolence dollars to people who go to our church than ever before. But it will be your giving that makes that happen. Three ways to give when you can't be at a church to put it in the bucket. You can give online at takethejourney.cc slash give. That's how Danielle and I give. Every time we get paid, it's very secure. It's pretty easy. I think you'll find it efficient. You can text to give. This is the way my 18-year-old son and 16-year-old daughter um, give. They just text on their phone. They've set up a, uh, a way to give that links with their debit card so that they can give. Um, you can give through the mobile app. If you're watching right now on the mobile app, there's a button to give. Or if you're like my mom and dad who live just south of Chicago, they actually mail a check-in every month. So if you can't be here in person, those are the ways to give. If you're still being paid and you normally give, give. If you're still being paid and you don't normally give, consider starting. We need your help. If you normally give and you're not being paid, you wait and you let us know what you need from us in order to serve you as a church. Galatians chapter 1 is going to be our home today as we prepare to dig into Scripture. Before we ever read Scripture at our church, well, we stop and ask God to speak to our hearts. So would you just bow your heads? Wherever you might be right now, would you bow your heads? Would you take a deep breath? Some of you haven't done that yet this week. You need to do that at least once a day. Take a deep breath and just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Would you ask God to speak to your heart today? God, that's our prayer. Speak to our hearts. Show us what we do and what we can learn when we have the opportunity to get alone with you. God, we ask that you would continue to help our world, our country, our community, and our families through this season of battling the coronavirus. Bless all those deeply impacted in any way. Be with those in the medical field on the front lines of this illness. Be with business owners fighting for their companies and their employees. And God, use today and use this entire season, however long it may last, to make us more like Jesus. That's our prayer. Speak to us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. So Galatians is an interesting book. Galatians is, I would call, the second um, online service that the New Testament church ever had. You say, Christian, what do you mean by that? We think chronologically, when you just go study the Bible, that the first book in the New Testament written in history was James. And James was written because nobody could come to church. James, the book of James was an online church sermon. The church had been scattered, it had been persecuted, and they couldn't get together. So James said, you know what, I'll preach online. Now online for him was taking out a scroll and writing a letter, but the book of James is an online sermon. We think the second book written in the New Testament was the book of Galatians. It was the first book that the Apostle Paul 
a pastor who started churches all over the Middle East 2,000 years ago, wrote to a group of churches in modern Turkey. He had started churches there, and then he had left, and they had some questions for him, so they wrote him and said, um, hey, we know you, we, we can't gather together for church on Sunday, but how can you get us this spiritual information? Thus, the book of Galatians, like the book of James, is kind of like a, an online church service. It's a pastor saying, hey, we can't get together in person, but we are together in spirit, so let's talk about some spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth he wanted to give to them was, hey, don't, don't stop following Jesus don't get distracted, don't get sidetracked. And he began to share a little bit of his story. And in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 18, we find something very, very powerful about waiting. Here's what we read. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. He said, I'm not making this stuff up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, to ask, what do you think? He said, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. You need to underline that if you're tracking with me in a paper Bible today. I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. This is, this is a fascinating text of Scripture if you've not studied carefully the life of the Apostle Paul, but it's going to allow us to do two things today. Here are the two goals that I have for today's message. Number one, I want to learn to recognize a season of waiting. We have to see when for some reason God has pushed, very intentionally pushed pause on our life so that we can have a season of waiting. I want to learn to recognize a season of waiting so that we can take advantage of it spiritually. Some of you in this season of waiting, you've already kind of wasted your first two weeks worrying, distracted, not really focused. We need to recognize when God has put us in a season of waiting and we need to learn how to take advantage of it. Number two, here's the reason why, um, so that we can create a scorecard that makes the most of every opportunity. We want to recognize when we're in a season of waiting to realize that it's a season, it can be a season of advancement. And we want at the very beginning say, all right, how are we going to make sure at the end of this uh, that, that we've made the most of this opportunity that we have. That's the challenge of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul said, one thing that followers of Jesus do is they learn how not to waste time. So when you find yourself in a season of waiting and it, and it actually has a beginning date and an end date, March 24th to April 24th at least, what we need to do is stop and pause and say, okay, how are we going to make the most of this time Because most days just kind of fly by without any good. And how are we going to evaluate whether or not this time was good in our life? That's what we want to try to begin to talk about in this message. And it's what we're going to talk about for the next four or five weeks. While we are in a season of waiting, we're going to figure out how to grow and make the most of it. How are we going to do that? Number one, we're going to learn today the power of getting alone with God. We're going to learn the power of getting alone with God. One of probably the best things we did last week, that was kind of an afterthought, but it ended up being really strong for our church, is we asked our church 
every day together to read through a chapter of the Psalms. We asked them to take what we called a refrigerator verse, uh, to take one verse out of that Psalm and post it somewhere and just kind of reflect on the promises and the hope of God. On Thursday, we were in Psalm 46, one of my favorite Psalms in the entire Psalter. I love Psalm 46. And in Psalm 46.10, some of you may have read this verse where the psalmist said, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Let me, let me kind of rephrase this verse for you. Choose to slow down and you will learn who God is. Choose to slow down and you'll actually learn who God is. Now, most of us, Two weeks ago, would have looked at that verse, be still, and know that I am God, and said, yeah, I, can, I, like, I, I can't do that. Christian, that's not my reality. My job is so busy. Christian, that's not my reality. My kids are so busy. Christian, that's not my reality. Christian, I travel for work. I'm out at the beginning of the week. I'm in at the end of the week. Christian, that is not my reality. Um, Christian, my kids have sports and activities and homework Every night, that's not my reality. Christian, my hobbies are my life. I can't not go to the gym. I can't not play golf. I can't not go to the pickleball courts. Christian, um, I, I got a lake house and I got lots of toys and it would be wasted to not go spend time there every weekend. Christian, I'm really involved in, listen, watch, I'm really involved in and I'm really committed to church. I don't think I've got time to slow down. My prayer Every Sunday as I prayed on the way to church this morning was that our volunteers would rest well in this time because some of our volunteers need great rest. Some of you read this verse, be still and know that I'm God, and you say that is impossible. It's impossible in this world. Choose to slow down and you will learn more about God. Yeah, that's impossible. Let's change that. That was impossible. Now it's mandated. Slow down. And you will learn more about God. You say, Christian, I mean, I love to, but that is impossible. No, that was impossible. Now, now it's, now it's a reality. We got the strongest go to your room message that I've ever received. You remember when you were younger, like people in my generation, you remember when your mom and dad used to send you to your room, how horrific that was? Today, you can't send kids to their room because they hardly ever come out of their rooms. Their room is actually their favorite place in the house if they have their phone or their tablet or their television or their video games. For me, if I were to send my son to his room, um, he would say thank you and like he would never come out. Today, to ground our kids, we have to say like, like go to the living room, but then are in our way. So maybe we ought to need to make them go to the backyard. Like it's almost impossible today to send someone someplace where they can be still and learn a lesson. Yet here we are, and we've all been told to go to our room so that we can think about. Remember what your parents, go to your room and think about what you did. We've had the opportunity now to go to our home and to dwell deeply on things. If you will choose to slow down, you can choose to know God. You know, the Apostle Paul, man, he was a fast-moving guy. He was a fast-moving guy. We read in Acts chapter 9 that he was headed to a city in modern-day Syria, Damascus. It's a city that's still there today to persecute Christians when he became a Christian. 
And what did he do as soon as he became a Christian? He said, this Christianity thing's awesome. I want to tell everyone. He began to do ministry. His ministry kind of weirded out the authorities who had paid for his trip to go to Damascus. said, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. So they kind of threatened him. And, and he ended up having to basically be rescued from the city of Damascus. When you read his friend Luke, who wrote the story in Acts chapter 9, Luke said, here's how Paul's story went down in Damascus after he became a Christian. His followers took him by night and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in a wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. There's one real issue that I have with the narrative of Acts chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Between Acts 25 and Acts 26 is a three-year gap. It makes it sound like Paul became a Christian, that he learned who Jesus was, that he started serving Jesus, and that he went right to a position of leadership without ever stopping to really know who God was. And I'll be honest with you, that's what a lot of you have done. That's what a lot of you want to do. I know Jesus, I've been baptized. Now put me in a position of leadership. Acts chapter 9 makes it look like that's how it happened. But the apostle Paul, when he got to tell his own story, said that's not what happened. I didn't go up to Jerusalem immediately to see the apostles. But I went into Arabia. Paul said, when they let me down out of that basket, out of Damascus, I went to Arabia. I went to spend some time alone with God. And then Paul would later say, after that, after I was ready, after I was ready, then, then, I, then I began to engage in what God had called me to do. Some of us have been sent to Arabia, like Paul. You say, well, why did Paul, why did Paul go to Arabia? Really two reasons. Paul went to Arabia, one for physical protection. It's really the exact same reason you and I have been sent to our room. Physical protection. Protect us, protect our health, protect our family's health, protect those that we work with, and protect all of those around us. Paul needed physical protection. The religious leaders that had paid for his trip from Jerusalem to Damascus had paid for his trip to squelch the religion of Christianity, not to promote it. So when they found out what was happening, they said, no, 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 no. We're not going to be able to do this. And they, who had paid Paul to attack Christians, became the attackers. And Paul said, I, I got to get out of town. I'm, I'm in danger. That's the way he presented it to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty two and 33. He said, in Damascus, the governor under King Eretheus had the city of the Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. They shut the gates of the city just so they could find me. But he said, I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and I slipped through his hands. The apostle Paul needed protection. Now, here's what you need to understand about this waiting room in your life. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul didn't choose his time alone, but he used his time alone. See that? His words almost rhyme. That was intentional, so you'd remember it. Paul didn't choose his time alone. It was forced upon him by the government, but he used his time alone. Let me say it again. Paul didn't choose his time alone, and neither probably have you, but he could choose to use his time alone and so can you today. We're going to study some others in a waiting room who were put there because they needed physical protection. Noah needed protection from a flood. Elijah needed protection from the king of Israel. We have been placed at stay-at-home orders because, because we need protection from a virus right now that has no cure. We didn't choose that, but we can use that.
And the reason that's so important in Paul's story is because it's become a reality in our story. You didn't choose it. Will you use it? You didn't choose it. Will you use it? I believe you can. I believe you should. And that's kind of the second part of today's Bible study. I, I want to help you today as we understand why Paul got alone, see that he needed physical protection, but also realize how God used a season of spiritual physical protection for spiritual purpose. He used a season of physical protection for spiritual purpose. As Paul began to talk about what he had learned, he said in Galatians chapter 1, as he processed the time that he spent alone, when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my, immediately, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Paul said, I realized when Jesus leaned into me that I needed to lean back into him. And this time of needing physical protection that I didn't choose, I decided to use to lean into Jesus. See, what Paul said in Galatians Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, was that his connection to Jesus came with a calling on his life. And Paul said, I have a calling on my life that I need time alone with God to prepare for. And see, here's what I believe spiritually. I believe you have a calling on your life that you need time to prepare for spiritually. And we may not have chosen this time But boy, I would hate to miss this opportunity because the same is true for every Christian. When God saves you, at the exact same time, he calls you. We learn this in one of the great, one of the richest texts in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Paul taught the church in Ephesus, it's by grace that you've been saved, that you've become a Christian. That happened through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Some of you are watching online church like for the first time ever and you're not a Christian. You're trying to figure out if you can be a Christian. How do you become a Christian? God gives you faith in your heart to believe that he loves you, that he knows you, that his son Jesus lived for you and died for you, that he wants to reach into your heart and forgive all the sins of your past, and he wants to reach into your future and order all the steps of your future. And one day he wants to give you eternity with him. And some of you, you work with or live with or are around some Christians who act like they are God's gift to humanity, and they have convinced you that the way to become a Christian is to earn your salvation by doing all these things that they do. And if you don't do what they do, you can't be a Christian. But Paul says in Ephesians 2.9, the reason God saves you by faith and it's not by works is so no one can boast so that only Jesus gets the glory. But Paul didn't say we we shouldn't work hard. Paul didn't say we shouldn't lean into him. Paul didn't say we shouldn't grow. Paul just said, hey, don't take credit for your salvation. But Paul said, listen, listen closely. Paul says, don't take credit for your salvation, but take responsibility for it. Don't take credit for your salvation, but take responsibility for it. Because in verse 10, he said, we are now God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. So we can't take credit for our salvation, but we have to take responsibility for our Christianity because we have been saved to do things. You've been called to do things. Jesus has reached into your life, not just to change your heart, but to use you to change the world. And Paul said, I didn't choose time alone, but I'm going to use time alone to lean into Jesus 
to figure out who he is creating and calling me to be. Paul told the Galatians, God had a plan for my life, but he had to get me alone, away from the busyness of how I would have conducted life. He had to get me alone. So I had some time to think on him. And here's what he said he did when he was alone with God. He said, God revealed his son in me. He said, when I finally got alone with God, God, and he began to show me who Jesus was. The greatest impact of time alone with God is getting to know Jesus, whose spirit lives in you. Paul was so passionate about this that he said in Galatians 1, the greatest thing about being forced into time alone, forced into Arabia, is that you can choose to lean into Jesus. And when you can realize who Jesus is in you, you begin to... You can begin to evaluate if Jesus is coming out of you at the end of his letter to the church at Galatians, at the end of his online sermon. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he will say, as you begin to know Jesus in you, you'll begin to see if he comes out of you by your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As Jesus is revealed in you, his spirit will begin to live through you, and who he is will come out of you. Paul said, I didn't choose to get alone, but I used that time to get to know who Jesus is. And listen to me, folks. Listen very carefully. There's no time in my lifetime, anyway, that it's been more important to show people who Jesus is than what's going on right now. You say, well, how do I show people who Jesus is? Your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will look different than everyone else in the world looks. And when Jesus is squeezed out of you, as he's been revealed to you and lives through you, as Jesus is squeezed out of you, more people now have an opportunity to see who Jesus is than any other time before. That would not have happened with Paul had he not been sent to his room, had he not been sent to Arabia. And you can use this time in Arabia to learn more about who Jesus is so you can help show the world more of who he is. That's what God wants to do through this situation. That's how God wants to use this season of waiting in you. There is power. There's power in a season of getting alone with God. And as we look at, okay, what is that power and how do, I know, how do I know if I received any of that power in this time? Number two, here's what I want to help us do as a church. I want to help us reverse engineer a promise. As we look at this time alone with God, I want to help us reverse engineer a promise. And here's the promise that I want to help you reverse engineer today. Paul told the church at Rome this. This is a promise of Scripture. This is, by the way, another one of those refrigerator verses. This is one you should know. It's one you should have posted. It's one you should believe in. Paul said, we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know. We don't think. We don't hope. We're not trying to figure out. We know. It's a promise we believe that in all things, even the coronavirus, God's going to work for the good of those who love him. This is a promise that we can trust. God will use this situation for good. Listen, folks, you need to believe it. You need to receive it. You need to speak it. You need to pursue it, but you need to reverse engineer it. This is a promise we can trust. God is going to use this season of waiting for good. It's a promise. Remember, Romans 8, 28, it's a promise. We know this. We know this. We know this. We know this. That in everything that happens, God uses it for good, 
for people who love him and who have been called according to his promise. We know this. We've received just in the first kind of three weeks of this season in our life, we've talked about peace. We've talked about hope. Those are things we receive, but we give them away. My mom and dad used to take me to a restaurant that they had in Chicago that we just now got in Kansas City called Maggiano's. If you've eaten at Maggiano's, you can on the back, mendo, uh, back of the menu at Maggiano's, you can, um, you can order a meal and eat one, but if you pay for one, you get two. They give you one to eat, and then they give you the exact same meal in a container to take home. That's how Jesus operates in peace and hope. When you order peace and hope, you get two. You get one for you, then you get a takeout container. Not so you can have more of it tomorrow, but so that you can give it away. So everything we're learning is coming in double portions. It's for me and it's it's for somebody else. It's for somebody you're thinking about right now. Same thing with this promise. It's a promise we can trust. God is going to use this season for good. The question as we try to reverse engineer this promise, is this. How? How? How is God going to use this time for good? How can I make the most of every opportunity? How can I make the most of this opportunity? I didn't choose it, but I want to use it. Christian, how can I make the most of this opportunity? That is the right question. Let me ask you, honestly, what's been your scorecard right now? When you get to the end of this, you will know that it's good if what? If you don't get sick? I mean, that's, that's, that's probably good. If you don't die, that's probably good. How have you been gauging whether or not this season is going to be good? Um, if you keep your job, if you're able to pay your bills, if the stimulus check helps for a season or two, if it's short, um, if your retirement comes back, or if you lose your retirement, how, I mean, think of it. You, you've already begun to process. Okay, how's God going to use this? What, what's your scorecard? How many Netflix shows you can, like you can binge? Is that, is that how you're gauging this season? I was able to watch 14 episodes of my favorite show today. How, how do you decide, how do you determine whether or not a day is good? What I want to try to do as we wrap up this message is give you a scorecard to keep Every day, because we didn't choose this season, but I think we can use this season to win in some areas. I want to give you seven areas that I believe you should try to win in in this season of waiting. Number one, spiritual wins. Every day, every day you got to win spiritually. Every day you got to get in the Word. Every day you got to pray. You have to have a scorecard where when you come out of this, you ought to say, you know what, actually that 30 days spiritually was good for me. Number two, family wins. You got to win with your family. I have a friend that works at Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He said they had a conference call with more than 1,500 employees all over the country. And the president at FCA told him, most of you travel. Most of you are rarely at home as much as you need to be. Here's the number one goal of Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the people employed by us in this season. Go undefeated at home. Go undefeated at home. You have more time with your family than you've ever had before. How are you going to gauge whether this time was good for your family? Number three, physical wins. We live in the most unhealthy physical country in the world, and it's because we don't have time to be still. So now we do. Work out. Try to eat right. Catch up on your sleep. How are you going to win physically? Set some physical goals so that you might win physically. Number four, emotional wins. You say, what are emotional wins? Go to Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Almost all the fruit of the Spirit are things that we call emotions today. 
They're feelings that other people can feel. Go through that list and see them like jars sitting on a counter. Figure out which ones are empty and begin to fill them all to the brim. So when you get to the end of this, your spiritual cabinet is full. What's another area that we can win? Mental wins. Some of you have been waiting to read books that you know will really trigger your mind and make you a better leader. Some of you have podcasts and blogs that you wanted to read or listen to for the past few weeks and you've never got around to it. What are some things that you can do to strengthen yourself? Maybe now's the time if you're still receiving your pay and you've got some stable time to take an online class or two to get that certificate that's needed for your career. What are some mental wins? Number six, what are some project wins that you have? Danielle gave me my list yesterday on the way home. Um, she basically would like me to just rebuild our entire house and paint most of it and move everything um, around. And you know what? She knows I've got some time to do those. Maybe it's time to finally clean out your garage. Maybe it's time to mulch your yard. Maybe it's time to clean out the storage room. Maybe uh, the teenager you've been waiting to move to the basement. Lord God, I hope Casey's not listening because that's one of ours. Maybe this is the season to move your teenager down to the basement. What are some projects you can do so when you get to the end of this, you can say, hey, this season actually, man, God used it for good in this area. Hey, maybe, 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 maybe it's time finally to get that $1,000 emergency fund that Dave Ramsey talks about. I've heard from so many friends that say the same thing. One, I can't believe how much free time I have not chasing my kids around. I cannot believe how much money I'm saving not eating out because I'm chasing my kids around. Maybe you can use that to build your emergency fund. I've heard from several people, I can't believe how much money I'm saving not buying my daily cup of coffee. One of the people that said that was my wife. Can I get an amen? Now, listen, some of the men just said amen, and you look like a dog that's happy that its owner got home, and right now your wife is glaring at you like a cat. Listen, Teach cats, hashtag teach cats to look like Jesus. Like we, we, you got to work on that. You got to work on that. What are some projects that you could do? And then maybe number seven, some relationship wins. You can't physically be with people, but this is a time to just write down a list of people important to you and begin to reach out to them, text them, FaceTime them, do a Zoom call with them, take a walk with them around your neighborhood, you on one side of the street, them on the other. Just talk, talk about anything that you wouldn't want anybody else to hear. Spend some time relationally with people. Start with your family. Start with your family. But this is a season to use. It's not a season that any of us would choose. But here we are. And so, so let's use it. We're in our Arabia. So let's use it. Because Arabia comes with a promise. And here's the promise. God's going to use it for good. God's going to use it for good. God promises that good is going to come out of this. It's a promise, but it's also a challenge. And the challenge is this. We've got to make the most of every opportunity. And our opportunity right now, watch this. Our opportunity is Arabia. I didn't immediately go up to Jerusalem to see those who were the apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. There's a promise. God's going to use it. There's a challenge. Don't waste it. And then there's an opportunity. It's called Arabia. Watch this. Listen to this now. This is not only the most important line of this entire message. It may be the most important line of the entire series. So listen closely. Lean in. Paul was not confined to Arabia. He was called to it. And you are not confined to solitude the next 30 days. You've been called to it. Make the most of it. Let me say it again. Paul did not consider himself confined to Arabia. He was called to it. 
so that he can know who Jesus was. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have not been confined to this season of slowdown. You've been called to it. Use it. Make the most of every opportunity. For some of you, that opportunity is saying yes to Jesus. You've been running from him your entire life, but you've stopped and turned around and you're wondering if you ought to walk the other way. Say yes to Jesus. Some of you have all these spiritual goals that you've never had time to pursue. Pursue them. Family goals, pursue them. Project goals, pursue them. Relational time, pursue them. You are not confined to your home for 30 days. You are called to your home for 30 days by a God who's more sovereign than any government or any illness that will ever come on our globe. Use it. Use it, use it, use it. Make the most of it. As a church, we want you to lean in. We've got a list of psalms for you to read every day this week. I'm not going to go through them. They're on their notes every day. As a family, get together, read these. Read them slowly, read them twice, read them out loud. We've given you a whole other list of refrigerator verses that you can use. Pick one verse out of these psalms and hang it up on the refrigerator and the mirror of your bathroom. Put it in the cup holder of your truck if you're still going to work and look at it every day. But why are we doing this? Because Arabia is a promise. And it's a promise that you can know Jesus more deeply. And Arabia has purpose. It's that when you know Jesus more deeply, you begin to show him more clearly. You find your purpose and you pursue it. If you've not done that yet, now is the time. You didn't choose it, but it's the time to choose to use this season that we are in. Like Paul said to Timothy as we close today, to the king eternal, to the king immortal, to the king invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever in our lives from this season and in this time. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me?